Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Before we get there, I know we talked about it Wednesday night, but I know a lot of the church was out at VBS and away Wednesday night. I wanted to make sure the church knew that uh, Brother George Klotz uh, did go home to be with the Lord this past week, this past Tuesday morning. And uh, in case you haven't seen, uh, his services will be tomorrow here at the church. Uh, There'll be a viewing from 4 to 5. Uh, in the evening, and then a service at 5. And so wanted to make sure that you, our church family, had that information. Um, as, as you're able to show some love and support to the family, to pray for the family. Hey, we know George is in heaven, amen? Uh, he knew the Lord. Um, but we need to support, and we need to love, and we need to pray for uh, Miss Linda and Tim and uh, those other family members who are left behind. So wanted to make sure before we got away this morning that uh, took some time to make sure you, our church family, uh, knew that news. Well, we are in Luke chapter 12, and uh, yeah, I think this month has kind of turned into like the month of taboo topics. Uh, if you were with us several weeks ago, we took a sermon and we talked about uh, sex and sexuality, and today we're going to talk about money. And so we're just hitting them all like... Just wait till next week, amen? No, next week's Father's Day. You should be fairly safe. But, uh, uh, and as we talk about this this morning, we talk about being rich towards God. Uh, let me say a couple of things. Number one, the church is not in hard times. I can already see some people perhaps... Well, they're doing all this renovation. Now they're coming after us for more money. That's not the case. The church is not in hard times, and, and everything we're doing is budgeted and paid for, and it's wonderful. Let me, let me give you something else. I am not in hard times, all right? And so I'm not after your money. The church isn't after your money. But in all sincerity, money is after your heart. And what we're going to talk about today is much less about the money that God puts in our hands and much more about matters of our heart. As we look at the parable here in Luke chapter 12, the point of the parable is found in verse number 15. Jesus says, take heed, open your eyes, if as it were, and beware of covetousness. Now what is covetousness? Covetousness is a state of heart that thirsts for what it does not have, thinking that what it lacks is needed for satisfaction. Boy, if I could just get that new car, if I could just get that bigger house, if I could just get that new phone, if I could just obtain, you fill in the blank, then my life would be better. The problem with covetousness is covetous hearts produce materialistic lives. Materialism is a preoccupation with the material over spiritual. Materialism is a preoccupation with here over heaven. And I think it's important for us as we start this morning to recognize that we live in an intensely materialistic culture. And we would do well to be honest enough to recognize that the intensely materialistic culture that we live in probably affects us more than we care to admit. I found some very interesting statistics about the average American home. It's been estimated the average American home has 300,000 items in it. 
200,000 of those items might be Legos, uh, but at the end of the day, the average American home has about 300,000 items in it. They say at least 10% of American households pay for off-site storage. This one, this one, America contains around 3.1% of the world's children, but contains 40% of the world's toys. In America, there are more TVs than people. And last year, in 2022, we spent more than $500 billion in consumer electronics. Last year alone, over half a trillion dollars. Now, if Jesus told them, take heed, open your eyes, beware of covetousness, back then when they were just arguing over sheep and goats and stuff like that, how much more is this a concept that we need to open our eyes and be aware of? Today, Jesus isn't condemning money, church. Jesus isn't condemning enjoying life. But what we are going to find is that Jesus, he is not warning us about an amount of money, but our attitude towards it. And admonishing us to take heed that we be rich toward God. So let's develop this parable together a little bit. We're going to start in verse number 13. Sorry. Uh, The Bible says here, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, this man, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesseth. I want you to note first this morning the desire for earthly prosperity. The desire for earthly prosperity. Now, if you look at the context of Luke 12, Jesus is teaching an incredibly important message on spiritual matters. Uh, Look with me, verse number 1 of Luke 12. The Bible says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch as that they trod one upon another, then he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus is diving into important spiritual truths. You go to the uh, verse 10. Uh, it says, Jesus continuing, he says, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Boy, that seems like a pretty important thing. That we like not do the thing that won't be forgiven. You know, sometimes it's called the unpardonable sin. People have a lot of questions. What's the unpardonable sin? I don't want to do the unpardonable sin. I don't want to do the sin that can't be forgiven. That's a pretty important spiritual thing. Look what Jesus says in verse number 11. And when they bring you into the synagogues and into the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought or uh, how or what things ye shall say or how ye shall answer. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And so Jesus here, now he's talking about what happens when the world persecutes you and you get arrested and you get drugged before the courts and 
and persecution's coming. How are we going to respond? And he's talking about how the Holy Ghost is going to step in and teach us and lead us. All of these are pretty important things, right? I mean, like, I have questions about, about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I have questions about this unpardonable sin. I have questions about, like, when are they going to arrest me again and what am I supposed to do? Like, like how is all this going to work? And in the midst of all of these, like, really important things, this guy chimes in in verse number 13. Hey, master, make my brother share the inheritance with me. This guy couldn't wait for Jesus to be quiet about heaven so he could ask for more here. All he could think about was here. And that's really impressive with some of the heavy topics at hand. But you know, it's not really surprising because all of us, all of us, all of us know the desire for earthly prosperity. We would all take more of something. You know, in our American culture, we are a culture of conditioned consumers. I found some interesting statistics this week in my study. Back in the 1970s, they estimated that people saw about 500 to 1,000 advertisements a day. TV, billboards, radio, that kind of stuff. So in the 1970s, you were exposed to about 500 to 1,000 advertisements a day. Jump up, if you would, to 2007. Uh, People uh, were exposed to about 5,000 ads a day. Jump to 2021, they estimated that it's up to 10,000 ads a day. You think about it, every time you open a website, you're like, six ads, boom, right there. And the ads are getting smarter. They're getting smarter and smarter. Somebody made a comment this week, you know, Target's doing all their thing and all their not good stuff this month. And uh, they're losing a lot of business. I don't know if you've noticed Target's stock price has gone down and they're losing market share and losing business. And so they're starting all sorts of ad campaigns. And the comment was made this week, I don't really want to shop at Target, but you know what? They sure do know how to weaken my resolve. They know, they know what sales to run. They know what ads to place. And we live in a culture where we are conditioned consumers. In 2019, Google made $134.81 billion in ad revenue alone. Facebook made about 40. We live in a culture where we've been conditioned to consume. We've been groomed to think that luxuries are necessities. How many of you thought you would need a smartphone 20 years ago? Some of you won't go outside if you don't have a remote starter that works on your car. And you're the same people who used to walk uphill both ways in the snow to school every day. And yet we've been groomed to think that luxuries are necessities. And boy, what happens in our culture and what happens even in the church is so often, many times, we so completely leverage our present and even future income by way of debt that we have no room in our lives for anything else, much less God. Now, church, the problem is not earthly blessings. 
God gives us earthly blessings. Amen? God wants us to enjoy the blessings he's given us. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, we see, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly, what does it say? All things to enjoy. God gives us blessings. God is honored when we enjoy the blessings he gives us. But the problem, boy, the problem is that your life is so much more than what you have and what you want. Jesus said, your life does not consist. Your life does not equal. It is not equal to the things which you have. And the problem is, is that in our country, and even in the church, sometimes we have placed so much attention and we have given so much of our affection to the earthly that we have very little appetite for the eternal. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24 that no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and man. And that word man, and it means money or material things. You cannot live with an appetite, uh, with an appreciation, with an affection for both God and the material things of this life. You can't serve God and money. And churches, we talk first of all about the desire for earthly prosperity. This man who said, Lord, just, just make my brother give me my part. Make him give me the inheritance. Jesus is warning here that your life is so much more than the things you possess. Hear me, church. Money is not the point. The point is not money. The point is not things. The point is not experience. No, money is a means to pursuing what really matters. And so the admonition then is for us to watch out, for us to open our eyes to beware. Because if we don't watch out, what happens? This world will suck you in and drain you dry. You're going to be living phone upgrade to phone upgrade, loan to loan, impulse buy to impulse buy. And you're going to be missing out on what really matters in life because Jesus says life is so much more than what you own we see in this man first of all the desire for earthly prosperity but I want you to see how the story continues Jesus here in verse number 16 he gives a parable of a rich fool to illustrate his point verse 16 and he spake a parable unto them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits? He said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So we see, first of all, the desire for earthly prosperity. I want us to see, secondly, this morning, the destructiveness of empty promises. 
the destructiveness of empty promises. You see, earthly prosperity will promise you the world. You know, if you just get this thing, if you just get this phone, if you just achieve this status, if you just buy this house, if you just buy this car, if you just accomplish this thing, if we can just obtain, we can have fulfillment. We can know what it truly means to live our best lives. You see, earthly prosperity will promise you the world, but it always comes up empty. It always comes up empty. And we see in this man the destructiveness of the empty promises. This guy was blessed financially. May I point out again, being blessed, being wealthy, is not the problem. You know, there is a, a line of thinking in our culture that, that wealthy people are the problem. Stop. Being blessed of God is not a bad thing. Wealth is not the problem. The problem was not this man's possessions, but this man's perspective. You see, the problem is that this man, he didn't just buy a bigger barn. He bought a whole bunch of lies to boot. You know what he bought? He bought, first of all, the lie of empty pleasure. Did you notice what the man said? He thought within himself, saying, I know what I will do. He said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'm going to store it all and take my ease, and it's going to be wonderful. You recognize this guy already had barns? I imagine his old barns used to bring him joy. I imagine he used to walk through, and at one point, he would enjoy the the new barn smell, so to speak. (sighs) Ah. Look at what God has blessed me with. But now years had passed and the new barn smell had worn away. And the old barn smell is not nearly as good. And so this man decided, you know what? I'm going to tear down these barns. I need something more. I'm going to build bigger barns. And you know what? Then I am finally going to be able to take my ease and enjoy life. Oh, but the problem is, is that money and things, they promise pleasure, but it's empty. Money and that which it affords can only ever bring temporal enjoyment. Solomon said this, note with me in Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse number 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. In other words... I love silver, I love stuff. And and if you get more, guess what you won't be? Satisfied. You won't be satisfied. Some of you are like, well, I'd sure like to try. (laughs) But maybe some of us would do well just to learn the lesson from Scripture. This is also vanity. Verse number 11, when goods increase, what does it say? They are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving beholding them with their eyes? In other words, anything you think they will bring you, it won't be lasting pleasure. No amount of money, no amount of stuff, no amount of experience will bring true, lasting pleasure. The new barn, car, phone, whatever, clothes, smell, always wears off. And if 
True fulfillment and pleasure is what we're looking for. It's not more cash that we need. It's more contentment. Paul had this to say in 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse number 6. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. What God has given me, where God has placed me, what God is doing with me, it is enough. Amen, church? It is enough. It may not be everything I thought it would be. It may not be all I want. But where God has placed me and what God has given and what God is doing, it is enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse number 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and raiment or covering, let us therewith be content. The destructiveness of empty promises. You see, earthly prosperity promises pleasure, but it's empty. It's empty. And it'll suck you in and drain you dry. See, earthly prosperity, it promises pleasure, but it's empty. Earthly prosperity, it promises peace, but that's empty as well. You see, money can't really provide peace of heart. The funny thing is, is that from what I understand, the more money you get, it even becomes part of the burden you have to bear. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 12, Solomon said this, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Uh, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer, will not allow him to sleep. And so, as opposed to bringing you peace, in fact, it does quite the opposite. It, it adds to the burden of your heart and mind. You know what I found? I found that I never once checked the stock market until I put something in it. Never once. Earthly prosperity, it promises pleasure, but it's empty. Earthly prosperity, it promises peace, but it's empty. Here's one. Earthly prosperity, it promises protection, but it's empty. You know, the thought is, if I can just get ahead. Anybody ever thought that before in their life? If I could ever just get ahead a little bit. I'm the only one. All right. All right. Me and Joe Mays. (laughs) If I could just get ahead. I don't even know what that means. But if I could just get ahead, then it'd be good. Then it'd be easier. Then life would be more, you know what? Yes, save. Yes, get insurance. Yes, do all of those things. But understand this, money cannot provide real security. You see, here's one of the problems with wealth. Proverbs describes it. It's like a bird. Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse number 4. Proverbs Solomon says this, labor not to be rich. Hmm. I mean, we could pause right there and just meditate on that. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Look what it says. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches, they certainly make themselves wings. And they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. In other words, there's there's really no security in it. It can be here today and it can be gone tomorrow. Wealth is like a bird. Life is like a vapor. And you think about the things that really threaten you in life that money is just absolutely powerless against. You see, earthly prosperity, it promises pleasure, but it's empty. Earthly prosperity, it promises peace, but it's empty. It promises protection, but it's empty. It promises you great prospects for the future. But you know, that's empty as well. 
this man here, he didn't find the pleasure he thought he would. He didn't find the peace he thought he would. He didn't find the protection that he thought he would. I got all this built up, downturn in the market. Who cares? My new barns are filled, except... He said, soul, you've got much goods for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The problem is, yes, this man had plenty of money, but he ran out of time. And when his time was up, he left everything behind. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 15 says this. And as he came forth of his mother's womb naked, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. In other words, Solomon said, you came with nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. I've done a lot of funerals, but we've never drug a U-Haul behind the hearse. Not once. And by the way, even if you could, what do you think it'd be worth there? It reminds me when Christopher was growing up, he had a rock collection. Only like my, when he was little, three, four, five years old, his rock collection was like chunks of asphalt and concrete. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, really? But he had it. He had them lining the dresser and lining his shelves, chunks of asphalt and concrete. He would break up my sidewalks and break up my, okay, my driveway, driveway was already in disrepair. That's not on him. That's on me. But uh, construction material. But that child treasured those things like they were the greatest things ever. Asphalt and concrete. They were his treasures. They were so valuable. You ever think, what do we, what do we treasure? We treasure, you know, gold, silver, Precious stones like diamonds and rubies and gems and things like that. I mean, when you think of like treasure, that's what you think of, right? What would that really even be worth if you could take it to heaven with you? You ever stop and think the gold you treasure so much down here is just the asphalt up there? You ever stop and think the the precious jewels and stones that you treasure so much down here are just construction materials up there? And I mean, how silly it is for your little Christopher to, to cherish his chunks of concrete. No, Daddy, don't throw them away. Don't take them away, Daddy. Don't take them and love them so much. We laugh about that. And yet we hold so tightly... No, God, don't take it away. No, I can't give it away. No, I got to have it. Let me ask you. When you leave, you're going to leave it all behind. And even if you could take it with you, why would you? The roads, and the, they're made of that stuff up there. Empty prospects. <clears throat> Let me note here, yes, it is a good and biblical thing to leave to your loved ones. You know, the Bible talks about in Proverbs how, you know, the good man, he leaves an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. And so that is a good and wise and biblical thing to do. But I want you to see what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. He said, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. 
And who knows whether he shall be a wise man or a fool. Yet he shall have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored. And wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun, this is also vanity. Solomon said, I recognize that I'm going to leave it all to the guy that comes after me. And I have no idea if he's going to be a wise man or he's going to be a fool. And regardless of whether he's a fool or not, he's going to get every red cent I leave behind. And Solomon said, that's a bummer. But you recognize often we do leave things behind to people who don't share the same values we do. And so these things that somehow earthly prosperity, it it gives us great prospects. That is an empty promise. Because you can't take it with you. And who knows who's going to get it when you're gone. Federal government. And so maybe do something for God while you can. So we consider the idea of being rich towards God. We have to see first the desire for earthly prosperity. How many of us, yeah, yeah, we live in a materialistic culture and it affects my soul way more than I care to admit. You know, when I step back and I examine, I have to see the destructiveness of the empty promises that earthly prosperity offers. It promises, what does it do? It promises, we talked about it, it promises pleasure, promises peace, promises protection, promises prospects, but it's empty. I want you to see how Jesus closes this out. Verse 20 and 21. I'll go back to verse 19. And I will say to my soul... Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Jesus' summary statement, verse 21. Remember the, the, the theme, verse 15. Take heed, beware of covetousness. Verse 21, the summary. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. And is not rich towards God. So we've seen the desire for earthly prosperity. We've seen the destructiveness of empty promises. I want us to see finally this morning the distinctions of an eternal perspective. What is it that sets an eternal perspective uh, different from an earthly perspective? Again, I'm going to point out the problem was not that this man had wealth. The problem was not his ability to get wealth. He was an astute businessman. He knew how to handle his business. The problem was not his desire to build and do more. That was not the problem. Hey, I want us as a church to do more. I want to see God continue to grow this church. The problem was not his desire to build and do more. The problem was not any of that. The problem was this man's why. The problem was that this man's motivation was himself. If you read back over his speech, you know what you're going to find? That he used the word I six times. He, He used the word my five times. He even referred to himself in the third person. He had this prolonged conversation with his most trusted advisor himself. And what you find this man's problem was is that he valued himself and his satisfaction above all. But an eternal perspective is motivated by things other than self. Let me give you a couple of things here. How do we become rich towards God? Number one, value God in his kingdom. 
value God and his kingdom. You know, one of the rich man's problems is he never once mentions God. That's a problem. Because when it comes to everything in life, God owns it all. Amen? Psalm 24 and verse number 1. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That means everything even I have. So God owns it all. God gave it all. Ecclesiastes 5.19 mentions this. Every man also to whom the Lord hath given riches and wealth. Who gives us the riches and wealth? Moses said, who gave you the strength to gain in this life? it's, It's God. God is the one who owns it all. God's the one that gave it all. God's the one that deserves to be glorified in it all. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 7, speaking of giving in the New Testament church, every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God deserves to be glorified even in the material things that he has given to us. And the reality is we will give an account to him for all that he entrusts to our care. Let me ask you a question, Christian. If money provides us a means and not our meaning, shouldn't we be using it to accomplish his mission? If money provides us a means and not a meaning, shouldn't we be using it to accomplish his mission? I mentioned earlier that giving to God is an act of worship. It's one of the ways that we demonstrate his worth and his worthiness. The biblical admonition is that as God is faithful to give to us, that we ought to be faithful to give back to him in accordance as he has given to us. Now, can I point out, this is not meant to be transactional. This is not some sort of God tax. Okay? That's, that's not what this is. Well, you know, I've, I've got I've to, you know, the federal government takes its chunk and God takes his chunk. And that's not what this is. Put 2 Corinthians 9, 7 back up there. What what are we doing? Every man as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. Here's the thing. I don't think I've ever cheerfully given to the federal government or the state of Ohio or the city of Clyde or Clyde City School Districts or whoever else takes my money on a weekly basis. Never once. And so often... Christians treat giving to God like it's some sort of tax. It's not a God tax. It's not a religion. We're to give purposefully, cheerfully, regularly, sacrificially. Why? Because he's worthy. Why? Because he's faithful. Yes, this includes tithes and offerings, missions and ministries. Hey, God is that important. Amen? He is worthy. And this is an act of worship. So I get this question quite often. They have gotten it two or three different times for Q&As. Is is the question, well, I'm retired. Should I tithe or have to tithe on my social security or retirement income? Because technically, I already tithed on it when I was working. Well... If we want to view this in a purely transactional sense, I'll leave that between you and God. But if it's the spiritual, hey, has God continued to be faithful to me? Maybe, just maybe, the fact that your retirement or Social Security still exists and the federal government hasn't completely messed it all up is because God is merciful to you and continues to provide for you. And so... 
Maybe, maybe the better question is, has God continued to be faithful to bless me? And if God has been continued, continued to be faithful to bless me, maybe I should continue to be faithful to honor Him in those things. If you want to boil it down to, to a transactional thing or, or a God or a religious text, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're always going to come up short. But if you, if you step back and say, hey, has God been faithful? Then I'm going to tell you, it's going to clear a whole lot of things up. Has God been faithful? Is God worthy? If the answer is yes and yes, so let me ask you, why wouldn't you honor God? Even in those things. Here's one for us. Should I measure or even limit my standard of living so that I can give to God in His kingdom? Well, we talked about it earlier, the desire for earthly prosperity. What does it do? It, 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 it pushes us to leverage our income and our future income to the place where we have no room left. And so should we measure and limit our standard of living? Let me ask you, is God faithful to us? Is God worthy? And why wouldn't we? The Bible is clear that we cannot be committed to both the living Savior and our standard of living. The rich man never once mentions God. And I wonder it. For some of us, if we went back over our bank statements, if they might not have the same problem. They never once mention God. Now again, the church is in no financial distress. This is not. We need more tithes. This is, we have to guard our heart. We have to guard our heart. How do we become rich towards God? We value God and his kingdom. How do we become rich towards God? We not only do we value God and his kingdom, we value others. You know, the rich man never mentions God, but the rich man also never once mentions others. This is also wrong. Such a surplus. I mean, the guy had to tear down and build bigger barns. Such a surplus, and he never once thinks of others. There's no mention here of the needy giving of alms and gifts to the poor. There's no mention here of honoring the helpers and workers who worked for him and with him. Nope, there is no mention or thought of anyone but himself. You know, biblically, a philosophy on money can be summarized in two words. Live and give. In fact, a little later in this chapter, in verse number 33, Jesus said this of Luke chapter 12. He said, sell that you have, give alms, in other words, uh, give to the poor and needy, and provide for yourselves bags that wax not old, and a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approacheth nor moth corrupteth. So very clearly, how can we be rich towards God? By being generous towards others. By being generous towards others. What are we going to do? We're going to value God and his kingdom. We're going to value others. And if we truly do value God, it will show. 
And if we truly do value others, it will show. It will show in radical generosity. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 17. John wrote, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. John says, How dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18. He said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How do we become rich towards God? Number one, value God and his kingdom. Number two, value others. Number three, value eternity. The rich man lived with little to no thought of his own mortality. Plenty of treasure, but he ran out of time. And he failed to see that so much more than his earthly comfort was at stake. You know, this man here, He was ready to take his ease, but he wasn't ready to give his account to God. Church, I think sometimes what we need is not bigger barns, but a bigger purpose. We are not here on this earth to get all that we can, to can all that we get, and then bury it somewhere in the backyard in case there's a rainy day. But being rich towards God happens when we take the temporal that God has given us and we invest it in that which lasts forever. Let me ask you, what lasts forever? Souls of men. What lasts forever? The kingdom of God. What lasts forever? The glory of God. Matthew 6, beginning in verse number 19, and we're almost done. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moss and rough doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In church, at the end of the day, we have to make our why matter. We have to make our why matter. Why? Why do we do what we do? Buy what we buy. Go where we go. We have to make our why matter. And we are called to make sure that our deepest wants are pointed in an eternal direction. Colossians 3 and verse number 2 reminds us that we are to set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth. I'll leave you with this thought this morning. Money, really, is just pieces of paper and metal but they represent value. What we do with our financial and material resources show what we put value on. And the spiritual principle holds true. My heart will abide in the places and people where I place my value. Luke 12 and verse 34, Jesus closes out this section with this admonition again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, church, the good news is you don't have to be rich to be rich towards God. Go back and look at the story of the widow with her two mites. And Jesus' estimation was that she had put in more, she had done more than all of the rich people who claimed all their coins. You don't have to be rich to be rich towards God. It's not what you have that counts, but what you do with it.
And so, church, be faithful to God as he is faithful to you. You know, some of us, it would be good to work towards a different tomorrow. Maybe to get out of debt or to rearrange some things so that we can do more for others in the kingdom of God. For all of us this morning, it's a heart check. What do I really want? That which is earthly? Or that which is eternal? True fulfillment comes not in what you have, but what you do with it.